Welcome back, everybody. So I've wanted to talk a little bit about anxiety and really how we've managed to find ourselves in this position of being afraid to venture into the unknown, try new things, take on new experiences. Really, a lot of people are trapped in their own suffering. And psychotherapist Esther Perel also said that trying new things, taking on new experiences builds resiliency. Yet a lot of people are stuck in their own ways. It's not just a matter of being stuck in your own habits, but also repeating the same painful behaviors that make us unhappy. So really, this episode is meant to highlight the theme of a blog post that I recently wrote called A Fear of Commitment or A Fear of Uncertainty. Really, there's two ways of looking at uncertainty. You can either become excited by it or you can dread it. And people who dread uncertainty have their lives controlled by living in the finite existence of their limited knowledge. The fear of commitment, especially in regards to something like having children, is extremely common in the West. Is it really necessary to have children to have a meaningful life? Certainly human existence is not solely characterized by reproducing and spreading your genes to as many of the far-reaching corners of the planet as possible. Millennials delay having children in the pursuit of careers and squeezing the most fun out of their 20s and 30s. Although there is nothing wrong, per se, with doing what's fun, this sort of behavior may have consequences as well. Thinking back to when I lived in Berlin, I often saw children in their late 30s unwilling to grow up. Why do you think I call these people children? Well, let's begin with somebody like Juan, who likes to go party and take cocaine for three days straight at a rave without getting any sleep and complaining about how difficult life is afterwards. Is this unethical behavior? If this behavior is being used as a means of delaying some sort of pain in his life, whether that is internalized or externalized, then the behavior may be maladaptive for him. Taking recreational drugs along with more common addictions like prolonged social media use is often a coping mechanism for maladaptive behavior patterns based on lingering traumas. Physician Gabor Mate uses a behavioral model based on life experience to characterize addiction as a manifestation of unresolved traumas. We often fail to understand the influence of important life events on our current decisions and behavior. Every decision we make is a culmination of cascading choices and lifelong events. Your decision to study in Spain may have an influence on your fondness of Latin culture. A tumultuous relationship with your mother throughout childhood might result in a general distrust of women. Who you are is literally a cause and effect summation of your life experiences. As Sean, played by Robin Williams, says to Will, played by Matt Damon, in Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. Sean's insistence on repeating the statement is an attempt to drive the point home. We are not responsible for what is done to us, only for how we respond. Therefore, the level of anxiety, depression, and other mental health disorders that have befallen us are not a result of choice, but rather a consequence of our experiences, or more specifically, the mediums that we engage in. On a quick side note, just reading this blog post, I do say that, of course, there are cases where genetics play a factor in somebody's propensity towards depression or anxiety. I failed to mention that in this blog post, but I just wanted to add that here. Moving on. You see, it's no coincidence that mental health has become a focal point in the age of digital communication. Online soliloquies cannot and will not ever replace the interaction that you have with a real human being. 
Some psychologists believe that the increase in cases of autism among children may be linked to an increase in iPad parenting. A child interacting with figures on a screen fails to develop an adequate theory of mind when there is no one to respond to their social cues. We've gotten to this point where we've developed an inorganic symbiosis with screens. Now we've arrived at the point where the relationship has become parasitic. The pursuit of meaning by taking on the important responsibilities of adulthood is obfuscated by hedonic humanism, an attempt to delay the biological onset of aging by doing what feels good right now. Yuval Noah Harari points out in Homo Deus that liberal humanism is the new philosophy of our time, exemplified by phrases like, if it feels good, then do it. Now, my only critique of liberal humanism is when it fails to take into account the other side of the coin. Every action has consequences. When you go out for three days nonstop, like our friend Juan, your mental health pays the price afterwards. When you spend your life doing only things that are fun, rather than subjecting yourself to painful experiences, you are possibly setting yourself up for more painful experiences later in life due to oversensitivity of novel stimuli that wouldn't have bothered you in the first place. When sources of instant gratification have become ubiquitous and easily accessible, our ability to cope in the material world deteriorates. If you use drugs in order to attain a desired goal or state, either happiness or confidence to approach a woman, you become a slave to that substance. If you use social media to kill some amount of boredom you're experiencing, then what happens to your attention? In the subtle art of not giving a fuck, Mark Manson details that the ultimate measure of subjective well-being is how you deal with negative experiences in life. Choosing what negative experiences you want to deal with is often the driver of success. It's impossible to live a life completely devoid of misery since human civilization hasn't reached this type of Huxley utopia just yet. Whatever your drug of choice, whether that is a Tony Montana-sized mountain of cocaine or your Instagram feed, external dopamine to numb pain stunts our ability to mature. So how do we find our calling in this distracted world? Is it possible to maximize our subjective experience in the short time we have on this planet and simultaneously take on meaningful responsibilities? To do so, you need to find your calling. I know, I know, it sounds cheesy as hell, but finding your calling is the solution to defeating the misery of a mundane world, while also embracing the creative drive that maximizes productivity. Instead of drinking four cups of coffee and taking an Adderall to strain yourself to look at an Excel spreadsheet for an hour, a better alternative is to be naturally drawn towards work without feeling like you're forcing yourself to do so. The naysayers may think that this sounds too good to be true, like a get-rich-quick scheme. However, with the advent of online entrepreneurism, I think this is completely possible. A calling doesn't have to be entirely career-related. Having children could be an example of this, or volunteering as a shelter on the weekends. The result is having a greater sense of purpose that answers the question of why we get out of bed in the mornings. Now, I know you can make the argument, okay, what if going to a three-day rave and selling happiness in a decrepit bathroom of a nightclub is meaningful to me? I'm making myself happy and others happy. I mean, who am I to say, really, if taking ecstasy or Adderall is a negative experience in itself? If taking these drugs had only one positive outcome, which is happiness, then by all means, do it. But it rarely works that way, and we're often paying the price afterwards. Everything in nature has a counterbalance to it. It's why subjecting yourself to intended pain in the gym releases endorphins afterwards. If the consequences of engaging in such behavior are maladaptive to one's existence, then I would argue that these behaviors need to be changed. If it takes a toll on one's mental health or relationships with others, then what should rethink their habits? This is also a good measure of addiction. 
basically the types of habits that you engage in, whether they are maladaptive or not on your own well-being. So coming back to responsibility and avoidance in the modern age, the negation of responsibility in the pursuit of pleasure is a conscious decision. A lack of commitment, however, is something that manifests itself despite one's best abilities, best attempts to resist it, like someone caught in the crossfire of an unwanted destiny. So I wanted to talk about Peter Pan syndrome a little bit, and this is a term that describes someone who is unwilling to embrace the responsibilities of adulthood. Someone who never wanted to leave Neverland and stay with the Lost Boys forever, like an unemployed 37-year-old man who lives with his mother, who is likely afraid of abandonment being the only thing familiar to him. Why is it that men overwhelmingly suffer more from Peter Pan syndrome than women? I've pointed out before that men and women face an entirely unique set of responsibilities throughout their lives that perhaps leads them to different levels of emotional maturity at different ages. Women face the reproductive danger of early pregnancy, while men bear no such responsibility. Sure, women can use contraceptives to avoid the danger of pregnancy, yet the danger is still there. That's where the danger of men who don't commit themselves to anything arises. An epidemic of overgrown children is not good for society, let alone for themselves. Scott Galloway recently wrote an interesting piece on the growing number of single men and the threat that it poses to society. Why is such a threat to be reckoned with? Well, young single men have been the source of many, if not most, revolutions throughout history, including the storming of the Bastille in 1789 in France, the Arab Spring in 2011, and most recently, the attempted insurrection at Capitol Hill on January 6, 2021, of which 85% of the participants at that insurrection were male. Whether these men are voluntarily or involuntary celibate is a different question. The outcome, however, is still the same. With most of these men being unemployed, single, and ready to rebel against a system they felt has failed them, the consequences could be dire. This is truly a force to be reckoned with. And this comes back to my point on a fear of commitment. Our fear of commitment stems from our fear of uncertainty. More specifically, the need to have a certain and predictable future. We stay in miserable relationships or jobs we hate because they are better than the unknown alternative. Psychologist Esther Perel says that embracing the unknown and continually trying out new things builds resilience. Going to an unfamiliar restaurant for a dinner or taking a new route to work changes your previous perception of the world. One of the secrets I've learned over the years is that most, if not all, of our suffering is unconsciously self-inflicted by rumination and thinking. Most indecision in life is due to a lack of information about a specific issue. The uncertainty of marriage or having children that causes anxiety is certainly due to lack of experience in this domain. The way we approach life is only based on past experience, so it's natural for the mind to perceive danger in innocuous life events like committing yourself to a new career or lover. Let's explore this fear here a little further. Most of the fear stems from the idea that you're making the wrong choice with irreversible consequences. Should I be a doctor or a lawyer? Should I accept the job opportunity even though I might not like it? These decisions become debilitating when we lack information to make these decisions. Aristotle wrote in Nicomachean Ethics that the uncertainty around decision-making results from a lack of understanding slash information about the choices that are available. To make an informed choice, we need to look at the issue from a different perspective. Because it's impossible to think oneself out of uncertainty, we have to make a leap of faith. This could be why the great resignation is upon us. Perhaps people are becoming more inspired by others making the leap of faith for themselves willingly venturing into the unknown in the pursuit of something more meaningful. Only after you've leapt does the certainty of what you're missing out on become clear to you. It's time to jump. So this was a blog article that I wrote about a month and a half ago, maybe a few weeks ago. 
I don't think that the message is going to be outdated anytime soon. I think that uncertainty and stress are elements to life that are not new. They've been with us for a while. Yet in the age of uncertainty, the age of technological innovation, the age of isolation, the age of pandemics, all of these psychological themes have become ubiquitous in our lives and pervasive, and you can't avoid them. And I'm really trying to break down why this is relevant on this podcast and trying to make sense of what is going on uh, when we interface with technology. So I've talked a lot about decision-making today and uncertainty, what to make of the decisions that might be readily available to us. And while there's no objectively clear answer on what is right and what is wrong, I mean, that's a domain for morality experts, I can tell you that action is extremely important in alleviating suffering. If you are suffering in some sort of way, whether that is because of your career or because of a relationship you're stuck in or just your overall trajectory in your life is not what you wanted it to be, then it's time to make a change. And I will finish this podcast by quoting an unknown author who said that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And with that, I will let you guys go off and plant your own trees, whatever that means. (laughs) 